What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain in this episode, I welcome back my man, Corey Allen, to help me walk through this latest psychedelic adventure. But I'd like to mention before we get started, my own experiences with psychedelics are often atypical. Please, when you listen to this, you might get excited, but use your own discretion, use your own judgment, and don't go rushing into anything. With that being said, please enjoy. So the question I have for you to start this off is, how do you deal with the word God? Because mm. that word you know, definitely came up a lot in my recent journey. And it's an uncomfortable word for people, but it's quite useful mm -hmm. <laughs> to use, especially in freehand. And so I just want to get that out of the way because sure. it's definitely going to come up in this podcast. How do you personally deal with it? And do you mean, how do I deal with it in speaking it to other people in Both. internally? Okay. So, yeah. So, so like, what do you, when, cause the word carries such a gravity of connotation, right. right? And it means so many different things to so many different people. Do you just avoid using it or do you what's your what's your take on the word i use it um as sparingly as possible if i do use it i use it with people who i have the understanding that their perception of it is dealing with some awareness of subjectivity yeah um obviously it's one of those loaded words like love or um favorite or something like that mm -hmm. or you know so it, there's so much subjective symbolism around that word based on someone's past experience you know their family their culture um their own interactions with whatever blah 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 their trans you know transcendent experiences so we whenever we use the word god we really don't know what each other are talking about because it's such a personal thing and that's why it's such a um powerful word in its destructiveness and in its constructiveness yeah because people who think they're using it in the same way are placing one one syllable term on the immaculate that exists only in our minds the largest thing you can possibly imagine described in three letters yeah and, exactly right, exactly one god one little thing it's, <laughs> it's 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 the same as dog as well it's just backwards so yeah. it's as you know it's that simplified um but i feel like to me it's I like things that are functional. I like clarity and especially in talking about things that are, um, you know, transcendent that are of the mind and of the perceptual field, not of the, the material world that we can touch and measure and weigh. Um, I try and speak as clearly as possible about those things because I don't want there to be any confusion, you know, in what I'm talking about. And I want the conversation to actually have value and to be useful to whoever I'm speaking yeah. to. So if I do use the word, god i qualify it yeah so let's go ahead and i'll qualify it because that word may come up because you know really this experience i just had it's with a substance that they call the god molecule and i've never had any direct experience with it and this is 5-meo-dmt from the sonoran desert toad and they call it the god molecule as opposed to uh, nndmt which they call the spirit molecule which is what i'm much more familiar with and I get it. I get why they call it that because there's really no other fucking way to describe it. And so to really, to describe the experience, I think you have to go by describing, you know, God to a certain degree, which for me, and I'll go the roundabout way of how I understand that. And how I understand that is that right now, you know, even if you talk to physicists, they talk about the big bang, you know, a point where 
the known universe emanated from a single point, a single point of light expanding into infinite amounts of matter. I have my theory on that, by the way. Just what? As, I have my theory on that, just yeah. as a side note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and, and as I understand, everything in the universe is cyclical, right? right? So the, the idea that there is just one bang and that bang expands forever doesn't make any sense to me at all. Mm. And in my, in my own journeys, you know, all, a lot of this I'm basing on you know, some things that I've read and a lot of experience, things that I've seen, things that I've experienced to be true. So it may all be bullshit, but anyways, sure. this is how I understand it, that the universe expands and then ultimately reaches a certain point where it contracts, mm -hmm. just like a heartbeat. And as it contracts, all of this expansion, everything in the known universe, both from the astral and the physical, which is tied together as above, so below, spirit form, physical form, all of these differentiations collapse back to a single point. And at that single point, that's the unicity, the singularity, that's mm -hmm. where God is one. Everything all together is one. And then bang, back out, infinite divisibility, polarity, duality, the ability for all of these different pieces that are all God, all carried and contained within that one point, because remember it was one point at one time, that point being mm -hmm. God, but the infinite divisibility of it, allowing it to interact with each other, allowing for things like choice and things like experience, allowing for the forgetting, which is where we are, forgetting that we came back from mm -hmm. that single point so that we can have that hero's journey, that narrative of the prodigal son that has gone away and forgotten where he came from right. and goes to recapture his glory. What a fucking fantastic game to play. Mm -hmm. you know. Because otherwise, if you're just one, you gotta understand if you're just one thing, there's no change. It's the same thing. So when people ask like, oh, why the universe? Why? Why the world? Well, because it's fucking boring if you're just one thing, <laughs> right. even if it's the most awesome thing. And that's what I'll get to in this experience is because like, I experienced and felt the unicity and the singularity, and it was the single greatest fucking feeling I've ever felt in my life. It's in completely indescribable. Mm -hmm. But after 20 minutes of that, I was asked, would you like to go again? And I said, no, I'm fine. <laughs> because the world is crazy and is different and I'm sad sometimes, I'm depressed sometimes, I'm angry sometimes. But still, it's fucking awesome to be able to have this change in contrast. Because the place that I was at, there was no change, there was no contrast. And fuck, it felt good though. Mm -hmm. And damn, it was nice. And did it feel safe? Woo, did it feel safe? Yeah. The safest. And see, that's what I think Invincible. is actually. <laughs> it was fucking <laughs> amazing, man. <laughs> like, you, like, I can't fucking describe it. Like, take, take like every drug that's ever created a positive reaction and every orgasm you've ever had and every good thought and every hug from someone you love and the first time you saw someone's panties drop <laughs> and the time that that dog just licked your face and you saw a new puppy and every fucking great moment. And all of it, all at the same time, like all of it in a steady, blind, constant stream, like no visions, no mm. sounds, no interaction, just holy shit. And it's just all feeling. All somatic, mm -hmm. 100%, which is a stark difference from any other kind of DMT experience, like we've done ayahuasca right. together, crazy visions, you're seeing entities and spirits and all different forms of the differentiation. With this, which you know, I vaporized and took one giant, long, slow hit of this vaporized 5-MeO DMT, and it would blast it way past that, past all of the point of differentiation, back to that point of unicity, which is the point of everything, where they're, they're it wouldn't even made sense to have visions if you're experiencing it. It's like, because mm -hmm. a vision itself is a differentiation. It's a contrast of different colors. Like you can only have hues of color in right. a palette if there's a difference between them. This was all the colors, all mm -hmm. the light, all the sound, all the feeling, everything. I see why you use the word unicity then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was. Like you're not in the, you're not like seeing the prism, you are the prism. <laughs> exactly. There was no separation and it was just, you just land yourself, blast straight through all of those, all of those dimensions and whatever you want to mm -hmm. call it, everything where there still maintains, even if you're outside of the physical realm, where there still maintains contrast, these things where there's different light forms or entity forms or, or even archetypes, mental archetypes, whatever, it doesn't matter. You blast past that to a pure sensation that can only be described adequately as blasting back to God or mm -hmm. the unicity or the source. And it was fucking, 
it was so wild, man. It was like, I've done a lot of shit and I've experienced a lot of shit and I've tickled this a few times. Mm -hmm. Like DMT will tickle this. You'll get that rush, but generally it comes with that chrysanthemum, that pattern of light of all of the beautiful fractals of Mm -hmm. everything. The expression of this visually expressed, this wasn't it. It was just, you became it for just a temporary little while. Like you became one with the entire universe. I wonder if that's a a clearing away in some sorts, you know? If you think about the impact of minimalism, you know, it's so powerful because it's so clean and it's so perfect in its shape and in its simplicity. And what that sound sounds what you're describing sounds like to me in some way is that it's a clearing away almost of the part of the human interface which is experiencing the external mm-hmm. and that it's going back to the very uh, point of arising, the wellspring of being and the arising of thought, the arising of understanding and all of that stuff in putting the focus of your attention and your awareness on that singular arising point so that you are just bathing in the river flow of everything instead of getting wrapped up in the conduit, which leads to the logical brain, the rational brain, the culturally shifting brain, which takes your arising, your human experience and manipulates it and shifts it into all these different things before you put it out into the world, before you begin to have that interactive moment. And that's why, you know, every, that's where all the problems come from is that place because it's, that's the cage where polarity comes from, right? right? That's where separation and, and we need, look, we need the ego in order to say, the ego needs to exist in order to say, I am not God, and so I am something else. It needs to define itself as something else so that it can experience other. Like it's necessary for contrast, right? You have to have an entity strong enough to say, no, I am not God, I am not the unicity, I am myself, Mm -hmm. I am myself and I am different, I'm different than everybody, so you can compete and you can interact and you can make love and you can do all of the shit, but ultimately, the ego is at the very core, the very deepest metaphysical core at the very last move. It's ultimately a delusion because ultimately mm-hmm. we are part of that unicity, right? Mm-hmm. And this just strips you away of absolutely everything. And I agree that's the right way to look at it where you realize what you really are. You're one tiny piece of the infinite, but the infinite is infinite. So even a tiny piece, you can't describe it as a tiny piece because a tiny piece is everything because a tiny piece of everything is still everything. Like it's not even a tiny piece. And so it it reminds you of what I think the only important metaphysical truth is, is that we're all the same. Like Mm -hmm. we're all part of the same thing, which is really the only thing that you need to carry to realize, hey, don't treat people like shit. Hey, don't treat the earth like shit. Hey, don't be a fucking dickhead, (laughs) right? Because we're all the same. It's It's what I called the platinum rule before, like treat everybody not because you want them to treat you like that, but treat them as if they are you, mm-hmm. just living a different life. Treat your animals, treat your plants, treat everything as if they are you, just embodied in a different somatic cellular structure. You know, And just so to allow differentiation, to allow the game to be played with interest. Yeah, absolutely. The you know, illusion of separation is the birth of suffering. 100%. And it's also the, but it's just the birth of all contrast. Right. And it, and it, you know, to me, like even given the opportunity to just be in that, which I can't fucking stress more is the best feeling I've ever felt. Right. Like if someone says, oh, you can do that. I still say no. Yeah. I still say, dude, I'm so glad that that's there. And then I have a ton of faith that that's where I'm going to eventually end up at some point, mm. but I'll take the separation. Cause like, it's interesting. It's fun. It's a challenge. It's a, you know, it's, I still get why, you know, even though that that's so good, like it gave me a, it's weird. It gave me like a really great appreciation for the human experience in a, in an odd way. Also this kind of confidence, like if that's home, man, <laughs> let's just have some fucking right. fun here. Let's really have fun. Let's not take this thing so seriously. You know, let's not let our ego be rabidly defending and suffering and attacking and carving out. Let's just say, man, this is the greatest game ever. Let's play. Let's have fun. Let's make sure everyone else has fun Mm -hmm. because we're all going home to the best fucking feeling you've ever felt, ever. That's a great insight, you know, because like wisdom without levity is a tragedy. 
you know, and, and if any, if you ever meet so a, a quote unquote spiritually awakened individual with no sense of humor, uh, they haven't got run. It. Yeah, run. run. <laughs> you will yeah. know the spiritual master by the sound of his laughter. That's right. I love that. You know, like yeah. that is like, that is how you will know them. That's how you will recognize them. Right. A big ass smile right. and a laugh. <laughs> Every great spiritual person I've known has had that, mm -hmm. you know, even the people who've touched it, even if they're flawed, like, you know, they've touched it when they can really laugh. Like, think sure. about the people we, even we mutually know, like Hamilton yeah. or Don Howard, you know, yeah. those guys can fucking laugh. Mm -hmm. Don Alberto, you know, the people who taught Don Howard. I mean, their laugh fills the room as, as great as their Icaros do. And that's a sheer sign that, all right, you know, yeah. he's gotten to the heart of it, which is we're here to have fun, man. We're here to enjoy ourselves. It's not fucking, this isn't life or death. The life yeah. or death is the illusion, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So I want to get back to the actual feeling of your experience. Yeah. So you keep saying it's the best feeling. So it's a somatic feeling. And so this feeling is this a feeling of nervous system, opiated type of wellness? Is this a sense of psychological um, well being and you know, lacking the looking into oblivion sense that most all of us humans have in some, some regard, what, what do we I want to kind yeah. of unpack and dig deeper into it's what exactly so, that is? It's so loud. It's, and this is again, truly describing the ineffable. There's no analog to this right. feeling, but it's so loud that all other sensations are silent. Like it's, it's so overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly there that it almost bursts through every cell and every sense of what you are and eradicates mm. everything. And what is, its, what's it? It would be like a note. Imagine, imagine it as a note so strong, like there's a symphony playing and mm -hmm. you hear the violins and you hear the pianos and you hear the cello and you hear you know, the bass and you hear all of these things and it's creating this cool symphony. Some instruments are out of tune, but ultimately it's this combination of chaos and symphony that you're hearing. And then all of a sudden this one note just comes streaming through and all of the other instruments are completely drowned out. You can't even hear a trace of them. And mm -hmm. that feeling from every single, it evaporates the boundaries of your body. So you no longer feel it. Like I can't, I can't say I felt it in my fingers and my toes. I didn't know where my fucking fingers and toes were. <laughs> like I had no idea of my and, fingers and toes. It and burst through the cellular prison that we're in uh-huh your context yeah of, of the self right and so as a quick side note now you understand why in indian kirtan uh -huh. and spiritual indian music there's drone instruments because that is the one long note you're talking about yeah yeah that's it and it was just the single note and it was the sound of the unicity mm -hmm. the sound of god the vibration the whatever the vibe the all vibration the all sound sure. the all feeling and you know it was it's it's not like i couldn't speak you know, cause I could still, there was still a shred of awareness. I mean, you'll, we'll play the recording here and <laughs> you'll hear me say stuff like, oh, fuck. Oh my God. What? Oh, fuck. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like I couldn't, I lost the ability to speak. You know, but just the feeling, that feeling was, it's it just, it's truly indescribable. Mm -hmm. There's honestly no analog. And that's why, that's why it feels like something other than self. Because you go through life, you experience all the, so many feelings, great ones, orgasms and pleasures and all of these things that I described in that long rant. And this thing just has no ma no analog. And so the only way to describe it is something that's other. It it feels like it could not possibly be generated from the human body. Right. You know, so it, there's like, there's no way that any of the systems that we have, any of the drugs, like we felt neurotransmitter highs. Sure. You know, and part of this experience was on the, on the beginning side, and we'll talk about that. I did the, 
the MAPS protocol for MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. So I did that protocol before. So certainly I was in a serotonergic state, which I can't, from you know, a scientific perspective, I can't divorce that from the quality of my experience that I had with the 5-MeO. Mm-hmm. That could have colored it sure. for sure. But anyways, like that has a very serotonergic quality, you know, like alcohol or GHB has a very, you know, is a GABA agonist. So it triggers the GABA response. And then there's dopamine drugs that trigger the dopamine response. And you get these, you know, alpha brain triggers the acetylcholine response. You get these different drugs that feel like, oh, my, this neurotransmitter is triggered and I get it and I feel this feeling. Um, this is just not that, <laughs> you know, I like the idea that we started this by saying, describe God. And, and we were like, well, you know, it's one of those things where it's an intangible experience mm-hmm. that transcends language. And then we spent the next 15 minutes trying, doing trying, to, describe the, trying yeah. to describe the sensation. Yeah. It's, it's really, um, it, it, to me, like psychedelics, I guess, cause I talked about them so much, you know, you have mm. these transcendent experiences where it just blows your mind right, and right. changes everything. And then you touch it again in meditation, you, you find truths. But somehow I always felt like I was still tacking the sails and still kind of navigating. And this was just my way of navigating territory that was somewhat understood. Mm-hmm. And it was still ineffable in a certain degree, but I still felt like the It's the calculable. It's, it's, calculable. it's calculable. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, I was the psychonaut who went on journeys and right. recounted the tales, not different from an explorer who yeah. discovered islands and told about the natives <laughs> and the interesting plants and birds and maybe brought some like back. I've said, I'm the Jane Goodall of my yeah, own experience. Totally. totally. <laughs> Am I tracking myself with a little notepad? Oh, Corey's experiencing this right now. Interesting, <laughs> yeah. interesting. Yeah, exactly. And that's how I've always felt. And then I go do this and it's like, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. This is the, this is, something that i tasted again that's that's indescribable and ultimately you know a piece of something that will always give me and i don't expect people to just take my word for it but this kind of proof of metaphysical concept for me in my experience that oh i felt something that i am sure personally that could not be generated by my body mm. like i access something that there is no way that could adequately be described by any physiological mechanism as far as I understand it. Well, and also, but you inserted a chemical into your body. Yes. So that was the bridge, (laughs) right? right? Yeah. So that was, that was the bridge, right? So, but even with that, you know, yeah, could be just, this is what DMT does. DMT does this. And, and I'm sure from a materialist reductionist level, you could look at the way that the brain fires. Mm -hmm. You could look at the way that my nervous system reacted. You could measure some shit and I'm sure I'd be lit up across all things. But that's the thing. Unless you did this, unless you did this thing, like, cool. I'll talk about all the scientific effects of it. But if you did this thing and you can look in my eye and say, oh, yeah, man, I can explain it's that. It's all science. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, please, please. Here's please. the thing. Is that science, science is used to you know, more deeply understand things in our material world, right? So science is a tool. It's a method. Same thing in, you know, we would say, quote unquote, these spiritual experiences are the same tool to experience things of the transcendent. So to reduce either of those experiences to either of those schools is a shortcoming because you're just, that's, that's a method. That's not an answer. What's relative to both of those things and all the other ways that humans use to track and understand our reality and our experience is the context in which it changes our understanding of our own reality. Yep. And so, you know, science is good because we can understand the atomic world. We can understand general relativity and those things. And how is that useful? Well, it lets us have a different context of how we understand how and where we we exist in the universe and how the fabric of quantum space-time exists and so forth. Um, So to reduce that to either of those things, I think would be a fault because the useful part of it is to say, sure, there's scientific effect, um, but what what, what that scientific aspect of it did do was give you some sense of a, I would say, you know, a, a, a glimpse of the life force beyond Aubreyness. Oh, 100%. So if it, it, seeing that this, this flow exists before and after you is, I think, I've had that experience and it's a, it's a life-changing one, you know, because once you feel yourself dissolve into the all, then you realize there's no me i'm a screen i'm i'm a, i'm a screen in a window that's under the ocean and all of that water is just flowing through the screen 
And wherever you stop trying to grab onto all of that and start trying to name thisness, name that screen you, and you allow the water of that ocean to flow through you of the screen, then you are all things because you are. But you're releasing yourself to that state of mind and to that state of existence as opposed to trying to grasp onto identifying and calling the thing meanness. Because all of this doesn't have to do with personality. Personality is so skin deep. People that, you know, if you believe in reincarnation or you believe in any of these afterlife qualities, it's, it's this churning process of life. It's not you-ness. It's the oceans and the wave, or the waves in the ocean going up and down and falling. And it's ocean. Yeah. It's not the little tip of the wave. And so that's one of the things for me on my quest of just, you know, the awakening of my own mind was realizing that. And whenever I realized that like, oh, you know, like the, the tree example, looking at the tree, saying like, oh, well, that tree isn't trying to be tree. It's just being there. Yep. And that's why it feels so natural. And it feels like um, an expression of earth. It feels, it just fits right in. And it's not trying to be a certain way to do a certain thing or trying to, and it's not grasping anything. It's simply existing. And it feels so comfortable because of that. It doesn't need to name itself something. And I realized that, oh, it's, that's that's the present right that's like that's that's buddhism really nails that well right. like being the observer being the consciousness and you know behind this life mm-hmm. form right and that's that presence is is amazingly magical that's where you just become part of the experience mm-hmm. itself and you know in any of these things you feel like you're losing something you feel like oh i'm gonna lose myself i'm gonna lose my identity i'm gonna sh- cling to this cling to the meanness it's an ef- inevitable part of the process right? it's like i'm gonna cling i'm gonna hold on to this i don't want to lose my who i who i am well who i think first, <laughs> who i think i am yeah well first of all you don't lose it anyways but right. in the losing is where you gain everything sure you lose maybe you lose a little bit of this identity form but you gain everything you get to become part of everything mm-hmm. like what you gain versus what you lose is way dramatically out of proportion yeah. <laughs> and ultimately what you lose are just the attachments that are making you suffer right you lose an idea of what you were based on the perspective that you had back then in the yeah. previous part of your life yeah and so the mourning aspect of it, the depression aspect of the wanting to grasp is a you know materialistic quality based around the self because all of those things that you're experiencing in life of how you're self-identifying who you think you are you know whenever those things start to break free only through your own realization that those things are illusions and that they were just at the time through your say if you're 10 years old and you have some experience and you identify yourself as as that experience moving forward you know you're still if you go back to that memory your memory through the the brain of a 10 year old just in a 35 or 36 year old body, mm-hmm. but that's still the point of reference and the, the level of perception of that memory. So plot that throughout your entire life and your entire awakening, all these previous experiences that we have and all these memories and things we symbolize as what we are, are based on the level of our perception at that time. And, and especially if they're traumatic, es- right? Especially if they're traumatic. So whenever we begin to realize that we are a, a living, breathing, flowing, ever evolving piece of everything, that illusion that we have that we've identified ourselves and we needed to call ourselves that as we were growing up to understand what we were and to begin to try and uh, take shape as a human being but whenever you release that there is a mourning period because you're letting that go you're literally like allowing a piece of you to die and to move on and that's wherever we can get in if you go hard into that zone and you really annihilate everything about your unis you get into a state which i call existential paralysis which you've dissolved all meaning. Yeah. And you have to understand that you have to rebuild your, your subject object relationship to self and to the universe. The thing that the only philosophy that I've felt like adequately dealt with, dealt with that was the Toltec philosophy, mm-hmm. philosophy because they developed that concept of controlled folly, right? Like they understand that the ego form, the identity form is ultimately folly. It's a character in the game. It's your, thimble in the monopoly board right right like it's it's just allows you to experience separation but ultimately it's a game it's your it's your folly but you play it nonetheless mm-hmm. because in the playing it is fun you know in the playing it you get enjoyment that's the whole point is to play it but at any point you got to be willing to just look at the game board and go <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just crumple it up and yeah. toss it to the side and, and i totally agree with that and i always like to specify that that like people I, I feel like can hear those type of philosophies and think that that sounds like nihilism or something, but it's, it's the exact opposite. Yeah. It, it's not getting invested in your own idea of your own story and allowing it's, it's allowing yourself to be open to exist and not be trapped by the catacombs of your own self-identification. Yeah. 
I want to go back to the way you were talking about how memories are formed. And I think after going through that MAPS MDMA protocol and talking to some of the psychotherapists who've been working with people with trauma, right? So one of the way, the theories that they have about how the brain works is, and the brain takes a memory and it encodes all of the data from that memory. So imagine a traumatic event, bomb going off, killing your friend, you know, something horrible like that. It's going to transcode the sound. It's going to transcode what you saw. It's going to transcode what you smell. Maybe there was a gunpowder blast or whatever smell was associated with yeah, everything. <laughs> but the most important thing that it encodes is the emotional state associated mm-hmm. because that is what's going to direct the body, whether to move towards that or move away from it. If it was a pleasurable encoding, you move towards it. If it was a, a very damaging encoding, then that's something you're going to move away from. And that's, this is the essence of learning. This right. is the essence of learning from experience. It's encoding the translation to the body, which is your emotion. And then the emotions, of course, release all of the associated neurochemicals to actually translate that feeling into the body Goodness. to make you fire, fight or fly right. or fuck or whatever. So the emotions are the key bridge. They translate the event into the body into like a really somatic level. Mm-hmm. But the one thing about the brain is it's not like a, a single right. Like that memory, every time it's accessed, gets slightly rewritten. Right. And that's why we change the memories over time. That's why the telephone game, you know, doesn't really work when you're trying to relay the same amount of information because your memory, I guess, slightly There's that saying of like, you don't remember an actual memory. You remember the last time you remembered that memory. It's like a rewritable disc, Right. right? So you go back and then if you go back and you're just in a neutral emotion and you go access a memory of a highly pleasurable state, you know, over time you'll start to encode your neutral emotion to that highly pleasurable state. So it's why we can look back at some of these things and it won't fill us with that same joy mm-hmm. that it did maybe the first time we accessed that memory or the second time. And it's the same with trauma, you know, and which is why one of the standard of care for any kind of traumatic event is exposure therapy. Right. You go over it again and again and you start encoding slightly less emotional information into that same memory until it becomes less traumatic. Mm-hmm. Well, the MDMA-assisted psychotherapy works so well because you're flooding the body with serotonin, which is absolute trust and love and everything's going to be all right. That's what it feels like when you're on MDMA and in, in this in this type of setting. And obviously, there's a bunch of shit type of MDMA out there that can make you all fucking anxious. <laughs> right. well, it's, not really MDMA, you know? it's not really MDMA. It's not really MDMA. But like real, true MDMA. <laughs> <laughs> so you go back to that memory and you're able to really look at it, except this time, instead of being in a neutral space, you're being in a completely open trusting space and so you're reviewing and looking at every nook and cranny of that memory and actually being able to access it and then re-encode it and process it and actually almost like getting the blood flow of your attention in there to clear out the infection but and a lot of times in mdma things come up that have been buried i mean you hear people talking about man i didn't even know that i was abused like that happened to jason ellis that happened Mm -hmm. to a bunch of people where they completely block stuff out because when a memory is so traumatic that then the mind knows how this works. Yeah. The mind knows that if it gets accessed, you might be able to rewrite it. But this is so traumatic, they need to protect yeah, it from exactly. rewriting. So they so protect bizarre, it right? by walling it off. And then your subconscious <clears throat> takes over. And people think that we're really in control of ourselves. We're hardly in control yeah. of ourselves. We're like this tiny little, little what do you call the people who ride elephants? They have like a name, right? little fucking rider they're the little <laughs> elephant rider i want to say sherpa but it's not a, the little fucking rider on an elephant on this massive elephant and we think that we're telling the elephant where to go but most of the time the elephant is going where it wants and the elephant is our unconscious right so we're getting steered away from these memories anything that associates with it so if it was something sexual then our whole sexual attitude is getting steered away from anything that is remotely close mm-hmm. from that trauma or in in you know war trauma we're getting steered away from anything that feels unsafe and it's driving all of these emotions and then the mdma allows you to break down those walls repattern it look at it with some positive information which is why these trials are showing amazing success and not only treating ptsd like the standard of care does with this concoction of drugs that hardly touches it it's curing it three sessions Mm -hmm. it's curing it and it's getting better over time breaking down the walls and allowing you to go through but the point of this whole long story is one to explain how that process works but also how effective it is at clearing your own personal bullshit in your own stories because when you're in there you're in full mask headphones and there's no stimulating lights this Mm -hmm. isn't like a club like (laughs) writhing bodies and burning man which is also can be a fun way to experience mdma Uh i'm not going to shit i've done i've done that way too but this way the only thing to focus on is yourself 
So you start going through the stuff and you start going through any trauma that you have and you start looking at your relationships and cutting away all the bullshit, all the old resentments and the times that your ego was triggered and the things that you're holding against people. And it just starts to recalibrate everything to the frequency of love, which is really the truth, mm-hmm. you know, the, the deepest metaphysical truth. And just so fucking cool to be able to do that and come out and just, I can really look at like everybody in my life. I mean, I think I sent you a message yeah, yeah. too at that point. And it was just, you look at everybody in your life and you just see the best in them, you know, which felt like a hundred percent the truth for me. And I didn't, I've done a lot of medicine work, so I didn't have like major trauma I was dealing with, but it's just such a powerful method. And I'm just so eager for this. You know, we're going into phase three trials at MAPS now. I'm just so eager for this to be available to the world because Man, we have a tough fucking world. We got, right. we got a lot of trauma, and this it's, is it's a surgical harrowing. tool to get yeah. there. Just being human is a harrowing experience. Totally. Just the birth process itself is crazy. It was warm and, and, and soft in there, and all of a sudden, there's this a bunch of bright light, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, my eye, and it's cold, and there's giant aliens slapping you. Yep. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty harrowing experience, which is part of the reason why I think maybe we don't remember it, you know, in an evolutionary sense. And but, Stan Groff has his whole, he, he developed his whole, you know, school of philosophy based around these what he calls basic prenatal matrices these different mental forms that get formed from the actual birth mm-hmm. process itself one being in the womb two the water breaks and it's fucking chaos right. ah, what's happening there's <laughs> a reverse flood yeah three you're <laughs> fighting through this tiny hole with everything you got knowing that you got to breathe somehow and then yeah. four the ecstasy of that first breath like and he, he categorizes everything from that initial baptism in crazy emotion out of bliss out of oneness you know, where you don't really know where the amniotic fluid is and right. you are and you're just floating around like the ultimate float tank is in your mother's womb, <laughs> yeah, right? For sure. And then you go from that into the real world where you become autonomous and that's, you know, that is our first baptism into polarity. Mm-hmm. But we have multiple ones of these all the time. That first time, you know, you go open, wide open with love and a smile and someone hammers you with something and your heart contracts. Like, what the fuck was that? I did something wrong and you're mad at me? You're, you know, your parents are your gods. You know, they Mm -hmm. yell at you that first time and you're like, ah, my gods hate me. (laughs) You know, like all of these things that that ultimately shape us and and do it over and over again. And just to be able to just, whoo. So let me ask you this, like, I, you know, your, your dad was not around whenever you were young, right? He was, was. we split time. He's just not around now. Okay. 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 Yeah. Um, because mine wasn't, you know, my, my dad wasn't around from the time I was like three until forever until he died pretty much. And I've wondered if people I've known who have had similar experiences in the way that you talk about my gods are angry at me, people who are missing a God it tends to lead to a path where you have to go figure out life on your own. Mm. And it creates a type of mentality and a type of autodidactic sort of learning uh, and um, way to exist in a world where you have to really learn to go look into things yourself and then trust yourself and build your own um, self-belief. It looks, I think it goes probably one of two paths. That's one, Mm -hmm. or it's the, I'm going to find a surrogate God in anything mm, that I can, mm. right? Like I did both of those things yeah. personally. Part, you know, half the surrogate gods were musicians and philosophers, sure. <laughs> which is the healthier way yeah, to do yeah. it, rather than you know. Yeah, I was like Miles Davis and Nietzsche are the <laughs> these, my, yeah. these my new gods, better Fathers. than the local gang leader or the That's fucking right. whoever right. yeah. whoever else is around. So them. you know, it's it's fascinating that what you were talking about, all of your revelation on this experience you had it always goes back to the most basic things. These phrases that are almost tired because we've all heard them so much. They're fatiguing. We don't even hear them, hardly. You know, it's like you say, I'll be here and now. Okay, what does that really mean? That's just some sound. Everyone's heard it and seen it written so many times. <laughs> Love everyone. That's not very interesting to me. What does that mean? I've heard it so many times. I like the idea, but what does it really mean? And I've been dealing with a lot of these things recently where I'm boiling down these huge, like we just spent... 20 or 30 minutes describing this process, really trying to break that down in just a few words. And a couple of them that I've been working with and just deepening recently is acceptance, the acceptance of what is. And I feel like what you described is that thing. Whenever you're talking about feeling love for everyone, for yourself, for, for all things and feeling the unicity, I feel like a huge part of that is the acceptance quality because what you're doing is 
you're allowing everything as it is on its terms and you're open, you know, you're letting it be. You're just allowing this process, your experience of existence and your interaction with it to be what it is and to not judge it, to not create separation from it. And it's, again, I, I bring up the simplicity of it because whenever I say, hey, everyone, this, I can translate Aubrey's experience into saying acceptance. It sounds so reductionist, but it's really, um, it's really powerful in the sense that if you think of someone who irritates you, maybe a stranger, you're out and, you know, I, I use the example, I was talking about this recently, standing in line at the airport and there's a gentleman in front of me with brown leather, leather loafers on, shorts and like a blue and white checkered shirt talking on his cell phone in a very, very like overly, like he's trying to impress his father type of business, you know, type of talk. We all know the tone. And to me, you know, I was tired and jet lagged and it was sort of just making my skin crawl a little bit. And I was looking at him, you know, at the back of his head and I was thinking like, hmm, it's interesting. Like what can I, the gap between the arising of my thought and what I'm feeling versus the actualization of that thought. Mm -hmm. Obviously I spent a lot of work working on that space and, you know, bringing my awareness there and guiding the expression of my, you know, thoughts and so, so on. But I thought maybe I can really like learn. I haven't felt this in a way. And I was looking at that guy and I really just had this feeling of acceptance where I thought, let him have his things. That, that guy, let that guy have his things. Totally, man. And I started aiming that towards, not, not to cut you off there, but I started aiming that towards everyone in my life and myself and people who, you know, fortunately I'm you know, very, very grateful to have amazing people in my life, but we all have our shortcomings. We all have our shitty parts. We all have bad days. And over time, especially people who you, you interact with a lot, it's so easy for those things to become more and more apparent because you see them frequently. They, and, you know, we, our subconscious minds start to sort of organize these things and, and a part of the ego, I think it's a animalistic aspect of our brains, which make us we have to see how we're better than other people so that we believe that it's, we're worthy of DNA propagation. It's just one of those things. That's where judgment comes from is in the hierarchy of our animal selves, we have to recognize and we have to see someone and see a way that we're better than them or put them in a light, which we are, so that we can believe that we should be the one reproducing and that we can continue on. It's just a part of, part of the but game. Recognizing yeah. that part of the game is valuable. Anyway, but seeing those pieces of people in our life, you know, that you may feel that way about, but then just letting them have their thing. I think the thing that we won't ever really be able to shut off, I mean, maybe it's possible for the truly like the in, the enlightened one, whatever. I don't know. I don't think we'll ever be able to shut it off. But the thing is, we'll always be able to observe difference. We'll always be able to observe, you know, that there's separation and observe the way that people believe in the separation. But there is an ability not to judge it and do exactly what you said, to let people be where they are and to not add the judgment on top of the mm -hmm. observation and just say, you know, oh, look, you know, his ego is super activated. He's not having as much fun as he could. But instead of judging him for that, just say, that's where he is. He's mm -hmm. really taking this game super seriously, his ego. You know, it's too bad. You know, if he was open, you know, I'd love to show him otherwise, but maybe he won't and, and whatever, you know. So you keep the, you won't be able to shed the observation. And I think that's one thing about non-judgment that trips people up. Like mm -hmm. it's not that immediately you'll be able to see something and sh shortcut immediately to that point of unicity. Like right. you're going to observe the difference. We're in polarity. Right. Like, I don't think it's possible to not make the observation, but where you can stop yourself is when you start to get judgy, when you start to think that it makes you better for being able exactly. to observe it, you know, and all yeah. of these tricky ways that the ego tries to make itself superior this you know spiritual materialism mm -hmm. where oh i'm wiser than you. i'm more woke than you i'm more fucking <laughs> which we all whatever. know jp is the wisest and wokest <laughs> right, one of all right, right. <laughs> yeah exactly and and he does a great job exposing yeah, that fallacy does. you know but then so you'll have your observation but just understand that there is no reason to judge we're all part of the same thing just doing it in a slightly different way and we need the whole gradation we need the whole spectrum it's it's a necessity. And for me, it didn't make me less motivated to say, look, man, these people aren't having fun. It's like parts of me are in a bad mood. If I'm all, if I'm everything and parts of me are in a bad mood, I'm going to try to improve the mood. Right. It's like people are not having fun. Or at the very least not impart your, your suffering. Yeah, to sure. Exactly. Or at least give them the opportunity yeah. to say, you look, if you want to consciously choose suffering, like go for it. But 
you may not want to, and so here are some <laughs> options. Or in the, what's bizarre is that so many people choose suffering subconsciously or consciously because if you can get devoid of some of that suffering in some ways, you're free of distraction and the things that you get wrapped up in to to avoid, you know, dealing with that suffering. If you begin to release some of that, then you have to take responsibility for your own trauma. Responsibility is the thing we're shrugging feeling. all the time yeah. because we judge ourselves so harsh, so harshly that the suffering we experience when we judge ourselves for not being perfect, for lacking, when we don't have enough of that love and forgiveness for the fact that we're never going to fucking be perfect, <laughs> right, right. the pain that we cause ourselves is less than the external pain of suffering and being the victim. Oh, right. poor me. I have no control. Everything's going against me. I'm suffering endlessly, you know, and it's not my fault. And then you're like pleading to the internal judge. Look, judge, it's not my fault. <laughs> well, you can circumvent that whole thing by just, instead of having that internal judge, have the internal, you know, Christ figure that's just mm -hmm. doesn't even flinch at your worst and says, ah, I see, I observe what you did and I don't even flinch. I love you all the same. You're forgiven. You yeah, know, and, and our suffering, like the other, we're all suffering. We all, all, we all will be suffering. It's just a part of the, you know, the Dharma, if you want to look at yeah. it in a Buddhist way. And the thing is that the ego is just shoveling the coal in the in the you know oven of the self, and the arising of that smoke is our thoughts. It's just up to us to be the filter. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's like, yeah, accept the suffering along with all of the. And that's other the stuff. ego's job. Right. That's the ego's right, job. Right, the ego's right. job it's is the to fuel. is to stand up and say, "I am not God. I mm -hmm. am not part of the unity. I am self. I am different." You know, and that's what makes this game possible. Because if you didn't have that, you would just, we would both sit here until we starved to <laughs> we death. We would just puddle. We would see, we would Everything say, would just puddle um, together. Yeah. yeah, we would just starve to death and die <laughs> without moving. Yeah, just puddling as <laughs> yeah. one. Is someone eating in the world? Good, fine. Right. As long as, oh, I will become food for the for food for the worms. They will eat. Ah, oh, fine. And I suppose you know? that's that could be a... a, a color on the spectrum of humanity. Yeah, you can make that move. Sure. If you want to make sure. that move and just be like, ah, the, if I am the worms and if the worms eat me or I eat, all is the same. But what a, what a waste. What a waste. You know? What a waste, man. Yeah. in <sighs> that, that allowing that acceptance, you know, pointing that towards yourself is so huge too, you know, yeah, because uh, we're all, we're all going to feel that way, you know? And, and I think that may, maybe you described and touched on having that in your experience is feeling some of that about yourself. And just allowing yourself to be without packing all that other shit and all the all the pretense we put all this pretense and circumstance on our own existence yep. for no but where does that come from oh i don't know it comes from your own illusion that you've decided is the pieces of things that have symbolism that are meaningful and relative to you that you remember to put on yourself in that moment and the original delusion that you should be perfect right you know like there's that, in, in one of the recordings you know you'll hear me say you know, thanks, Aubrey, you did your best. You know, everybody, and I went through a bunch of people like, y'all, everybody did their best. Yeah. You know, like, forgive, forgive all of the failings according that you call quotation failings mm -hmm. of not being perfect because it's not possible. We're not here to be in perfection. You know, we're here to fumble and stumble and triumph and be the hero on that journey, finding their way home. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's fucking fun. It is. And you know, a, a big distinction I like to make with this type of stuff is that people hear these type of, this type of talk <laughs> and, mm -hmm. uh, they think, well, they, it's, it's a place where you can get, you can get taken advantage of if you don't have the other piece of that idea. All should, you know, we can do a great service to ourselves and to other people in this world and reduce a large amount of suffering by accepting and allowing people to be what they are and who they are. Mm -hmm. However, there's an aspect of that which does not mean that we should allow ourselves to be taken advantage of or totally. overly overly compassionate in a, in a damaging way that becomes delusional. I can still shoot someone who's trying to harm my, come break into right. my house and harm my fiance. I have the right to protect the sovereignty of my own boundaries exactly. and my own consciousness. This is the you know, question. But, but you shoot them not with anger, you shoot them with empathy. You know, that's ultimately yeah. the most conscious path. Like I have to shoot you because you're trying to kill me and the one I love. And that's my prerogative to prevent that but I'm not going to shoot you out of anger. I'm going to shoot you like, man, it sucks that you're under this delusion that drove you to this violence and that un the unrecognition that you were doing harm to self embodied in a different form, you know, and ultimately that I am, and I have no other choice but to do that. Right. Like, right. And that's obviously the extreme example, but 
I think it goes that it goes it can go that far, and it can go that far in anybody. Someone trying to take money from you, or someone trying to you know you have the or right, even, to, even the subtleties, especially yeah. the subtleties, yeah, any especially kind of abuse, yeah, any kind of taking, and it's advantage. it's a good Being, distinction, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an important one. I feel people hit me up with those type of questions about yep. that a lot, you know, and it's um, just it's a level of I call it the my approach to it is the judo approach, the answer. Yeah. Whenever people come at you with negativity, whenever that you recognize some type of manipulation even, or if they're trying to unload on you, or if it becomes, I guess, in a physical realm, but in the mental, you know, psychological world, in the energetic world, it's the judo approach. You know, they bring the negative t- negativity towards you and you just whoom, grab it and throw it aside. Grab totally. it, keep on, you can keep Don't coming. take it personal. Keep coming. Yeah, don't take <sighs> it personal. Aside, just, aside, aside, aside. You don't have to take, most of yeah. the stuff isn't actually physical. It's an attack on your ego. Yeah, and, and so, that's what I mean mentally. So your ego's not even real. Yeah, so don't, yeah. for sure don't take that shit personal. <laughs> right. You know, like let the ego, let the ego get all flustered. Like observe it, watch. Oh, wow, look at my ego getting all flustered and shit today. Like that happened today, a couple times today, you know, where something comes in and, and an idea that I had proposed you know, someone's coming in with a totally different perspective. And my first reaction is that couldn't be wrong. I came up with that idea, (laughs) you know? And so, but instead of saying, no, that's bullshit, you know, like a fucking tyrant CEO, you know, like trying to, and still that was, don't get me twisted. That was my first reaction, (laughs) but in my head, but just saying like, oh, look, there's the ego getting fucking Mm -hmm. triggered again. Let's, hey, ego, I hear you. You're getting all triggered, but doesn't matter man that's not you this was a construct of your mind of something that you decided that was you thought was clever two weeks ago yeah like who cares and that's that self-adoration you know that that all artists get lost in. yeah that's why there's so much suffering in artists because first thought they think i'm a genius and then they go <laughs> off and do this thing and any feedback or feedback wherever their own senses begin to critique their thing to sharpen it they start fighting against themselves their self because they're like Oh, I, my logical mind sees a way I can shape this passion into something clearer. And then they go, no, it's yeah. over there. And then, it's, you know, it's, you cut your me. ear off. Yeah. You cut your ear off. You know, and that's why the, the, the people who are the most successful generally have found a way to realize that they're just the conduit. Right. You know, like someone like Stephen Pressfield, one of the authors I yeah. admire the most, or even talking to Rogan. You know, when you talk about his success, he's just, yeah, I'm just here along for the ride. This is something much bigger than me that's coming through me. And you, you know, know what a, a great thing I heard him say one time was that, Someone was asking about how he was so successful. And he said, you know, I'll tell you a secret of my success. It's that I don't feel successful. Yeah. It's that I just, I don't sit there and go, look at all the stuff I've done. I just keep wanting to do new, cooler things and I keep doing them. Yeah. And I think that's a, a beautiful quality, you know. And I agree. You know, another objection that I hear all the time is like, easy for you to say, bro, you're rich. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right? But it's so backwards because if you look at like depression and suicide rates, they're correlated yeah. with wealth. Sure. Not with poverty. You know, I well, mean, there's a certain just... point, there's a certain point where, yeah, you got to get your basic needs taken care of. But these, these happiness markers and these like mental health markers, mm-hmm. they all start to decline the more shit you have. Sure. Wealth this, expands the web of distraction. Yeah. It makes it And also inflates the ego, more, inflates it, which the is ego, the cause yeah. of the suffering. Like the ability, the ability to be unattached when you have more is, can often be harder. And I'm not saying this is like, oh, have sympathy for the wealthy either. Like obviously there's shitloads of advantages. Their yeah. ability to make moves on the board are also gr- dramatically expanded. In the animal realm, you know, yeah. you look at the wheel of life. It's in, in the animal realm, you can have more monkey pleasures. That's, that's essentially the benefit of being wealthy. Yeah. If you're, you know, wise and wealthy, then you can turn that, you know, a, a, quite a while ago, I came to the realization that money is not so much currency it's just potential it's energy it's energy you can put it's it a battery direction exactly and the people who store up batteries it would just be like they have all of these toys yeah and that the, a ton of people could play with <laughs> yeah. but instead they're just hoarding millions yeah. of double a batteries yeah, check them out like, warehouse full of batteries <laughs> warehouse full of batteries do you know how much shit i could do with it you know how many toys i could power and people yeah. are like i want to play with toys they're like fuck you yeah, i don't even own any toys <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I don't even like toys. just batteries yeah. i just collect batteries bitch <laughs> You know, the, yeah. it's so, it's so crazy. It it's is. So I mean, it's, it's just another, you know, the, to think that the wealth or power somehow exclude you from the human experience and all the, you know, aspects of how we get into suffering and our pain and, and so forth. It's, that's a complete nonsense. It's just, if you're human, I, I was right. And when I was working on my book, you know, this thing I, I, I wrote about this is, um, it, you know, to be born is, oh. Hey, <laughs> um to be to be born is to be spellbound you know if if we yep. exist we are under the, we are under the illusion and there's no escaping it there's only 
putting shining light onto it, you know, illuminating your mind and your consciousness to expose and shine light on a deeper and deeper You have truths. to be lost to find your way home. Right. Like to, to, to live the narrative, the one narrative, as Guy Ritchie says, the one narrative is the hero's journey mm-hmm. of the prodigal son or daughter returning home, remembering. And in order to do that, you have to forget. It's the nature, it's the prerequisite mm-hmm. of the fucking game. You yep. know, you have to forget and find your way back. And that's what we're all in. And it's, it's the greatest, it's the greatest game we could ever play. And it's, you know, fuck man. It's just so cool that we have the tools here that can help shake us out of that. Yeah. You, we all have them right now. They're inside of our skulls. Yep. You just direct your awareness towards things and it'll start unraveling. Yeah. And you don't need the, you don't need MDMA <laughs> or DMT to do this. Although fuck, they can really shake you up and make you yeah. sure of some shit. But a lot of this is just choice. Any kind of awareness mechanism from meditation to floating, to yoga, to ecstatic dance, to flow state, to, you know, shamanic breathing, to Wim Hof, to yeah. whatever you want to do. Like, just shaking the shaking the bars of the prison a little bit until some you shake them long enough and then your hand just moves right through whoosh, yeah and right. you realize like oh shit those weren't bars at all <laughs> dude that's so funny yeah i was i was writing something just about the, almost so close to that today it's yeah. amazing i love how we always have this weird mental <laughs> psychic overlap because we're um, fucking one i Corey. have a theory about that actually i have a theory about that man every it's, time i jerk off i'm jerking you off <laughs> I you know that's that. what that was. That hand <laughs> felt familiar. I, I actually have this this theory about that. I have two more things I want to touch on with you. Um, and so one of those is that I wonder if like the, the experiences that you and I have where you'll get this mental check-in from me or I'll get this mental check-in mm-hmm. from you. Like I get those with some people, but you know, not with not with everyone by any means. I wonder if like, the fact that we did ayahuasca together and had these super powerful experiences, if in the opening up of almost the morphogenetic field in some way, and this is, let me just hit the pause real quick and put up a disclaimer of, <laughs> I understand the, the woo-ness of this, <laughs> and this is an experimental thought. Yeah. Uh, okay, unpause. So it is like the morphogenetic field opening, and then there's almost some sharing of like atomic uh energy or you know cell memory or something and then wherever those shells close again and they become just kind of pumping in and out machines there's some type of i don't know almost like swapping of of antenna or something so that yeah. those communications become i think clear. it's just i think it's just a friendship that can form on many levels i think we form if we unconsciously form a bond so we're not accessing our, the conscious part of ourselves, which is the trans-dimensional mm-hmm. part. Like consciousness is the trans-dimensional part that ultimately travels all the way to the one consciousness, you know, all the way through all of the dimensional levels of being. If we consciously connect with someone and our consciousness has become friends, then our consciousness is communicating, right? Right. But if we just become acquaintances on this dimensional level, we can only communicate through this dimensional means. So to me, it's just like, how deep do you form that friendship? And I think obviously ayahuasca blasts open your consciousness. So, and and we tend to do that with each other anyways. We come to each other with a friendship that ultimately is Mm trans-dimensional. And I think probably to me that that makes the most sense. It's just, it's a a trans-dimensional friendship. It's a friendship of consciousness and the consciousness can communicate even when our dimensional, our, our physical being isn't communicating. And to me, that's, that makes the most sense of, of how that, of how that works and yeah. again look fuck, can we prove any of this no yeah. it's just just what we feel well, i mean because every once in a while yeah. me and Corey will fucking send each other messages and, yeah and it would be like in vision and it'll be in thought and it's just weird it's uncanny where it's yeah it's uncanny yeah, it's, yeah. it's fucking weird <laughs> so uh and then the other thing i'm curious of is in your experience that you had uh on the old the old frog powder uh-huh. is uh or toad excuse me toad, toad powder yeah w- was there a toad's ego, we'll <laughs> toad's <this>. ego. <laughs> um was there a uh vessel aspect to the arrival and departure of that feeling how was the onset of the 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 physical yeah, feeling it was uh it was a a, a disintegration like a disintegration of it was a disintegration. I was, my body disintegrated into it mm-hmm. and then it re, uh, what's the opposite of disintegrated? Reintegrated. Integrated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> reintegrated into, into form. So just slowly, like the, the smoke came into my heart and then from my heart, everything 
just outwards. just outwards just evaporated all the way through and then ultimately when i was coming down it slowly reformed back into self i've been very into this practice of raising wind horse are you familiar with that no <laughs> it's one of the more esoteric uh buddhist practices but it's a way to describe this phenomenon which i experience in my meditation and have experienced and just developed and cultivated over a long time i'm certain you're familiar with it mm -hmm. so say you're in a meditation or something or even just sitting here if you breathe in and you, what one would normally say, draw in energy or feeling from the ground up towards into your being. And then you have this lightness and then you can do with that what you desire. Do you want to push that out as a clearing mechanism to try and like push out negativity or, you know, the, the old black crusties that, <laughs> that occur within the self? Or do you want to draw that in and then have it sort of like mold into gold into your being and you, where you're recharging, fortifying energizing, yourself, yeah. fortifying yourself? It's a great word. Um, so you're from, of course, you're familiar with that feeling. Sure. So um, this idea in Buddhism called raising wind horse is uh, Chogim Trungpa, you know, phrases mm -hmm. this, this wind horse thing of, you know, whenever you see in Buddhism, the, the horses that look like they're, you know, partying, that they look really ecstatic. That's, this is wind horse. Yeah. So the idea is that this horse in the wild running, bolting, but with, through ecstatic excitement, you know, a freedom of just the vitality of life, just running wild over the horizon putting yourself in the idea of what that would feel like. Like it's turning almost into the wind of nature. Yeah. And that wind horse, the raising it is raising, pulling that feeling up through your body and into the self. And so whenever I started thinking about the, this concept again, I identified, oh, right, that's what I've been doing, you know, in this practice. That's the raising wind horse. It's the great way to describe that, that feeling. And so I've been working a lot on now you know, as I, as I always have that practice of the drawing in energy and then doing X, Y, and Z with it, but trying to uh, add that extra bit of character in that natural aspect to it, an elemental sort of aspect to it has been a really interesting uh, experience. Yeah. And for people listening, I mean, really what you're doing is you're using symbols to drive belief. Mm -hmm. Like as far as I understand everything, like belief is the force that moves. You know, it's this intent, belief, the Toltec shamans called it intent, which is really this com this idea of like directed belief. And and so you you visualize and you believe, like for example, you know, people use Palo Santo and sage mm -hmm. for clearing, right? Is it because these things are inherently smell a certain way and thing? I don't think so. I think it's because the smoke allows this symbol of the clearing and it's the belief that actually right. makes you feel like the area has been cleansed. But the smoke and the smell, it actually gives you a, a symbol that you can use and this wind horse is like the symbol of this energy that you can believe into your being and believe it into clearing your mind or believe it into fortifying you and it's fucking that's you know that's mastery of self when you can start to utilize your own belief in ways that are going to be beneficial and you know and not to say that things don't have intrinsic and inherent properties and there's things that are universal beyond you but you know learning how to tap into these these symbols that allow you to believe things into existence. I mean, that's tapping into our, to our real power. That, know, I, mean, I think that's what mysticism is, Yeah, you know, and, and the raising aspect of it is, was what really piqued my interest because that's how I've always felt it naturally is like this arising of that flow. So I've been curious and thinking about other experiences of I've had where that onset of feeling has come in different directions. And that's why I asked how that onset came to you. Yeah. This one, you know, the cool part is it disintegrated everything and it felt like what it reintegrated, you know, some of the stuff that didn't need to belong there didn't come back, mm -hmm. you know, like some of That's the, some of the vibrational patterns or the, some of the ideas and beliefs and thoughts or somatic cellular memories or something. When I disintegrated, you know, so, some of that, some of that stuff that I didn't need didn't come back. Some of it did, you know, it's not like you get rid of everything, total fresh start, but less of it came back with mm -hmm. me. And that was, you know, that was a cool feeling. Combining that with this very heart-centered practice that came in where I was just anchored in love. So it really shifted my priorities from my mind. I've been very mind-dominant my whole life, probably the reason why I've varied from suffering to, you know, great happiness to suffering <laughs> to great, again, over and over again. You know, even as weeks ago, I'm posting on Instagram about these funks that I'm in mm. and sufferings that I'm in. It's because it's from mind dominance. And then shifting that, to a, an awareness or a consciousness or a heart dominance, you know, however you want to visualize it in Buddhists, it would be more about consciousness in this experience. It felt more like 
you know, following your heart and just letting the ego, acknowledging it, appreciating its existence, but not being guided by it and just focusing on the heart, which is tied to the truth and the metaphysics of the fact that, you know, we're all part of the same thing ultimately ultimately at the base level so it's a challenge too man because yeah, whenever you're trying to organize in life and be strategic which we all need to be if you're going to go to the grocery store you have to be strategic i'm going to go get in my car yeah <laughs> i'm going to go to the grocery store i'm going to come everything from little or small takes strategy and that's of the mind yeah and so you know we have to get into our mind zone and then coming back to the heart zone you, you can get the mind zone is so bratty you know what <laughs> it's I mean? so bratty. like but we I, try and solve our problems thinking that i have a, i have a quote in there from, from the recording it's like we try to solve our biggest problems with with our some our most fallible tool mm-hmm. which is our mind whereas like you rarely hear people say man i really regret following my heart right you know right. like how often do you hear that but the mind will is so capricious and it'll lead you down so many different ways and your ego will trigger you in so many things but just being mindful like all right, my mind is saying this, my mind is feeling this, but like, what does my deeper sense of being say? Like, what does yeah. my consciousness say? Or what does my heart say? Like a lot of these symbols ultimately collapse into one. When you say consciousness, you say heart. It gets really tricky on True. how to differentiate well, those We're getting two to things. God territory again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because they're all kind of referring to the same thing. They're referring to the thing that's not you. That's not the ego saying, I am different, you know? So- really just cool to even reorient into the company which really requires a lot of strategy Mm -hmm. it's like a lot of chess being played you know running on it but then still trying to make the choices ultimately as much about the heart as possible as much about what's going to feed that versus feed my own ego and don't get it twisted my own ego is still a fucking beast that i'll continue to wrestle with um but just shifting that a little bit just chipping away chipping away at some of the barnacles on that uh on the heart and the intelligence of it yeah yeah, you're just putting your, grabbing your heart in one hand and your brain in the other and just walking towards a positive path of love, you know? Fuck yeah, man. Corey, my brother, I love yeah. you as always. Hey, much hey, love, man. Follow Corey, listen to his podcast. Podcast, You got a bunch of dope guests coming up. Yeah. The Astral Hustle. Mm-hmm. Check him out in all things social media. I love you, man. I love you too, man. Yeah, man. And I love all you guys too. Thank you for everything. Goodbye, everybody. Peace. I want to talk to you guys about a tool that has literally changed my life. And it started when my mother came to me with these CDs called Binaural Beats. And they were wildly expensive and the marketing was douchey. And I eventually figured out how to get the CD into a digital format so I could actually listen to it. But when I listened to them, I had a noticeable effect. I could feel my brain waves dropping. I could feel myself reaching a meditative, almost sleeping state, similar to what I would find in a float tank. And so... I didn't really like the company that was behind it, so I went to my man, Corey Allen, who's a sound technician by trade, and I said, yo, can you make some binaural beats? He said, hell yes. And so we came out with a suite of binaural beats, and one track in particular, the track Earth Piece, which is designed to really drop you into those lower theta states that are super restorative and restful, I literally put that on three, four, five times a week, and it's incredibly helpful if if I'm sleepy, if I'm tired, if I need a reboot or restart, I put that on, I listen to it, I pop out of it 30 minutes later, and I feel like a different person. So um, they're five bucks. Please give it a try. If you don't like it, just let us know. We'll give you your money back. It's just something that's really been helpful to me, and I think it'd be really helpful for you guys. So go to aubreymarcus.com if you're interested. Uh, Navigate to the track Earth Piece. Try it out, and I hope you guys like it, and it can be as beneficial to you as it is to me.